Thank you very much, Anita. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that we are related to you. Thankful for giving us your word in written form. Thankful for working down through the pages of history and working in the present. As we interact with a portion of 1 Peter this morning, we want to be hearers, doers of your word for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We have an employee, I will call him Charles. He has been criticized repeatedly for only taking a 15-minute break because that's what the company allows, and he is very strict on taking a 15-minute break. Others want to take 20 or 25-minute breaks. His boss, a number of times, have asked him to be dishonest. Many times he experiences rejection because he is unwilling to participate and enter into immoral conversations. He's being, he is misunderstood because he is not willing to criticize the government of our country. <coughs> He's criticized because he seems to have joy and can thank God in the midst of living in a messed up country. He's laughed at because he won't go out with the guys to drink after work. He's thought strange because he often will mention to his co-workers that he and his family are hospitable. He's been asked sometimes, what do you do on Sundays? And he says, well, I go to be with other believers to worship God. And they just kind of don't understand that. First Peter is addressed to people, believers who are experiencing rejection, criticism because they don't live according to the demands or cultural norms in the countries and areas in which they lived. Let's read First Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. First Peter chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. When I look at these verses this morning, we find that Paul, Peter is the writer. He clearly states Peter. And then he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle was a sent one. No, messenger, an agent for Christ. He was a bearer of a commission. We know that Peter was given a commission along with the other 11. The apostles played a unique role. According to Revelation 21 and verse 4, the names of the 12 apostles are on the foundations 
of the walls of the holy city Jerusalem in the future. According to Ephesians 2 and verse 20, we find that the church, the body of Christ, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we find that the apostles, one of the gifts given to the church for the building up of the saints. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 2, we find that the apostles gave the commands of Christ. And Peter, in particular, gave the commands of Christ. The apostles were selected by Jesus himself, according to Mark 3, 13 through 19. And Peter is saying, I'm an apostle. I'm a messenger. I'm an agent. I'm one sent by Christ. And he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. The hearers to whom Peter was writing, those who would have heard what was read, would have known about Christ because they were redeemed people. They had been reconciled. They were in Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ is used ties in with his identity, his character, his being, who he was. We also know that Christ was a prophet that was to come, according to Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18. Fulfillment, Moses talked about a prophet yet to come. And we know that Christ is the one who gave the counselor the spirit of truth. According to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit. So Peter, he's an apostle, he identifies himself, I'm a spokesman for Christ. Talks about who he's writing to, he says, to God's elect, strangers in the world. One's identity and how one views themselves seems to be important from God's perspective. How we view ourselves as a body of believers, how you individually view yourself makes a difference in how you live and respond. Whether it's Peter's hearers or we today, God says, I want you to understand who you are. The Lord made it clear to Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Israel, and various prophets who they were in their identity. The Lord clearly communicated to Jesus who he was after his baptism. Jesus stamped apostles on the twelve. The readers of the various epistles are identified as saints, as those in Christ and beloved. Obviously, the Lord and Jesus Christ considered identity for their children as vital, core, foundational, and central, since they're generally made, or their identity is generally mentioned first in the epistles. And Peter does that here too. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect. To God's elect, God's the one that is electing. He's the creator of the universe. He's the one who has majestic attributes, who's revealed himself through various names. He's done wonderful works. We find God taking the action, and Peter says to his hearers, you're God's elect. 
Elect means to pick out. It means to choose. To select as recipients of special favor and privilege. Peter says, I'm writing to you hearers. You're God's elect. According to Ephesians 1 and verse 4, this election took place before the creation of the world. Obviously, sin did not take God by surprise. There were people selected due to how well they lived because they had not yet lived when they were elected, whether it be the people to whom Peter is writing or whether it be believers today. God electing people was not an afterthought due to Adam and Eve's disobedience because the election took place before the creation of the world. Please understand that God acted in the past, that is eternity past. He took the initiative. The hearers in First Peter or believers today don't come to him on their own. He acts. And then we respond. The Holy Spirit works in the lives of the elect who were sinners to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sinners don't come on their own. The Spirit must work in a spiritually dead person. And that's brought out in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Then the repentant, believing sinner comes to Christ. So Peter says, I'm writing to you as an apostle, and you are God's elect. Maybe sometimes we ought to speak of ourselves rather than believers in Christ as God's elect. Stop and think about who we are. He goes on, he says, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Strangers, the idea is residing in a country, not one's own. Living in a country that's not your own. Passing through. You're not there permanently. That ties in with not holding the values and practices of the host culture. Stranger, like visiting in another country. You're a stranger. You don't live by their standards and their values. One commentator says, moreover, as foreigners, they were not necessarily expected to hold the values and practice the customs of their host culture. Because of such differences, foreigners were often looked upon suspiciously and potentially subservient, or subversive, I'm sorry, to the established social order, an attitude not unfamiliar even today. Strangers. They don't hold necessarily the customs and practices of the host country. Israel and the desert were strangers. And they entered into the promised land. In chapter 2 and verse 11 of 1 Peter, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls. In Hebrews... 
chapter 11 and verse 13, the chapter on people who have been faithful. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted they were aliens and strangers on the earth. Peter's writing to God's elect. He says, you're strangers. Think about believers today. Do we view ourselves as strangers? One commentator says, the sociological effect of being a foreigner is in view. Christians distant themselves as nonconformists from hand-me-down lifestyles. Therefore, those around them are strange regarding them. In both Christians and those around them, the effects of this foreignness can or should be felt. But the foreignness is established by election. Peter uses the term stranger to distance his readers from the hold their society may have had on them. Nevertheless, Peter does not tell them to withdraw from society, but instead present Christian engagement with society in the mode that might be expected of foreigners who wish to maintain their own identity. That is, foreigners dwell respectfully in their host nation, but participate in its culture only to the extent that its values and customs coincide with their own beliefs they wish to preserve. In this way, the salutation of the letter introduces a concept of a different or differentiation engagement with society than subsequent, subsequently will be expanded in terms of neither full assimilation nor complete withdrawal. I'm not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with the people I'm going to mention, but I think they would illustrate what it means to be a foreigner. And that would be a group of people we call the Amish. They live within our culture to a degree, but they live in light of their origin and they do not accept everything that American culture offers, and I'm not saying they're right or wrong. They continue, most of them, to farm with horses. They will drive a horse and buggy and a host of other things because they do not want to be caught up in the culture. They see themselves as strangers. Peter is saying to his hearers, and I think applicable to us today, that you're strangers. And that seems to be a primary thought as we read through First Peter, that they're strangers. Notice what he says in chapter 2 and verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority or instituted among men whether the king is the supreme authority or the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. You live in this culture, and some of the culture would say resist. 
And Peter is saying to his hearers, submit to authority. Apparently there would have been people living in the culture to whom Peter was writing. And people would have said, don't submit to your masters if you're a slave. And Peter says in verse 18 of chapter 2, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only those who are good and considered, but also those who are harsh. You're an alien, you're a stranger. You're to live by what I say even though there are people in your culture that would say, don't. Apparently there were some people in the culture who would be saying, wives, don't be submissive to your husbands. Peter says, develop a gentle and quiet spirit, and in that way you might win your husband to the Lord. Your strangers... You live according to my call on your life. Daniel, who for some 70 years would have lived in captivity, but yet he lived according to the culture of Babylon to an extent. But he was still a foreigner, and he was still viewed as a foreigner. And we know that towards the end of his life, when a command was given that you could pray only to the king, that he still bowed down three times a day and prayed toward Jerusalem. That was his custom. He still considered himself a foreigner where he was living. He maintained certain customs. He didn't buy totally into the culture. How does one live as God's elect in the United States. Not looking for an answer, but think about it. How do we live as God's elect in the United States and as foreigners? Think about that. The hearers of Peter are not the only foreigners. Saints down through the ages of any time period would have been considered foreigners. Again, how one views him or herself or how a local church views themselves makes a huge difference in how they live. Strangers don't buy in to or live by the standards, desires, and codes of their society. We as a local church here at Roaring Brook should be seen as strangers in our community, on our jobs, and shopping, driving, and so on, but yet living within our culture for God's honor, for God's glory. Writing to God's elect, strangers. And then he mentions a number of countries. Some of them you can see. Probably most of them you can see. Mentions Galatia. Cappadocia, Bithynia, and so on. So a broad area, people in different locations. But he says, you're God's elect. You're strangers. I'm writing to you. And then he goes on in verse 2. And we'll only mention this this morning. 
dwell on it more next week. Who, that is God's elect, strangers who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. God's elect, strangers. Then he mentions God the Father, the foreknowledge, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. We find all three persons of the Godhead involved for a distinct purpose. And then he desires that grace and peace be yours in abundance. In a few moments, we're going to partake of communion. But as you think about partaking communion, think about who you are. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God's elect, but also stranger. This is not our home. We're passing through. We don't establish roots here. We're not scattered throughout Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We're scattered rather throughout the Wyoming Valley. But reflecting the fact, too, we've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and that's for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. We partake of communion. We're reflecting back on eternity past. Christ died at a point in time. He arose from the dead at a point in time. He ascended to his Father at a point in time. But that was in the mind of God in the eternity past. Think about the fact that in eternity past, God's elect, strangers in the world, And in Christ, when he came to this earth and lived, died, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father. We remember Christ, what he did. And in Christ, we're a body. We're part of the body of Christ. Local church here at Roaring Brook, but part of other members of the body. We reflect that oneness as is brought out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul said to the saints in Corinth, Beware as you partake of communion because they were not behaving as a body. And God said, you had some difficulty. And that's why he says, ponder, you know, your relationship's good. But we're also reflecting on what's going to come in the future when we're with the Lord for an eternity. We take a moment in silence, reflect. On Christ, what he has done, what we have in Christ. Let's pause in silence. Father, 
very thankful that through Peter we're reminded as were Peter's here is reminded that they were God's elect strangers in the world they were chosen according to your foreknowledge through the sanctifying work of the spirit for obedience to Christ and sprinkling by his blood We reflect in communion. We're so thankful for all that we have in Christ. Not because of our effort, not because of our ability, but because of what Christ has done in our place. We thank you, Father, for acting. And it's our desire to be responsive to your acting to live in yieldedness to you, sensitivity to you. And as we partake of communion, we want you to be glorified. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.